Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. This is episode 31. I'm your host, Andy Humphrey, and today I've got a really special guest. His name is Justin McDaniels, and he's a senior project manager for Monroe Pumps and Monroe Systems. Monroe is a pump manufacturer, distributor, and engineering company out of Grand Junction, Colorado that not only engineers pump stations, they sell and distribute them all over the country. And Justin and I have had a working relationship for probably 10 or more years now working on all kinds of really interesting irrigation systems around the country. And I always rely on Justin as my go-to pump guy. So as it relates to maybe a large commercial project where they want to pump out of a lake or even a cistern, or maybe it's an HOA and they want to boost the pressure, I always go to Justin with my pump requirements and connect him with the engineers and the contractors that I'm working with to handle all of their pump station needs. And if you're new to irrigation and using this show as a platform to build your knowledge base, we're going to start out today talking about residential systems. That is certainly the highest volume area in our industry. It's just your small booster pumps. So that's where we're going to start our conversation. And then we're going to take it all the way to what you might consider big ass systems. And you're going to learn some of the do's, some of the don'ts, a little bit about winterization on pumps, and a little bit about what Monroe has planned for this year and going forward. They've really spent time to standardize some of their pump station platforms to make it easier to engineer, specify, order, and install. So stick around, and I hope you enjoy this one. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you wanna use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. All right, Justin, welcome to the Sprinkler Nerd Show. So glad to have you on today. No, thanks for inviting me, Andy. I'm, I'm excited to talk. Yeah, man. You're one of the, I would say, key guys on my list of contacts that I know who to contact and why to contact. And so for me, it's anything about pumps when a contractor or an engineer, you know, is working with me on a control system and they need some help with pumps. You're, you know, my go-to guy. So I'm thankful to have you on today. And I think we're going to be able to cover quite a bit of content as it relates to pumps and pump stations and, and hydraulics. Yeah, I think so. So with that being said, why don't we just start? I always like to start with kind of who you are, how you got into the irrigation industry, uh, what you do for Monroe. So uh, Justin McDaniel, um, I've been with Monroe for 25 years. Um, out of high school, started with the distribution part of the company that uh, distributed pumps and industrial goods for uh, the local market in Grand Junction, Colorado. Pretty much started off as a you know, the stocking guy, guy that took care of customer orders, shipping, receiving, things of that sort. And at the time, we really weren't into irrigation much. As we started to grow the company a little bit, we had to pick an area we needed to go to. Was it industrial? Was it irrigation? And it made a lot of sense for us to go to irrigation. So as the company started to grow, we split off and started the manufacturing side of Monroe. And the manufacturing side of Monroe really focuses on irrigation. That's what we do. So we have a lot of different products that we put together for irrigation. You know, that's, that's really what Monroe is. As far as me, I really have just been in the industry ever since it started mm -hmm. for Monroe with the irrigation side of the business. And it's been interesting. 
I've met a lot of people in the industry. Heck yeah, man. In, in 25 years, there's been a lot of stuff the same. We're still, still turning sprinklers on with uh, 24 volt solenoids, but man, there's a lot that's changed as yeah, well. There's, there's a tremendous amount that has changed, you know, from the old days with pumps where you were using starters and trimming impellers to make them hit a performance. Uh, now we use variable frequency drives to hit that specific performance a lot more efficiently than might've been something we did 30 years ago. Right. So Monroe uh, started as a distributor, just took some notes here and right around 1995 or so you guys made a switch from distribution side into manufacturing of pumping equipment specifically for this industry, irrigation industry. So yeah, the, the company has manufactured a lot of smaller self-priming centrifugal pumps for since the eighties, you know, 95 or so is when things really started to change and the company started to move into the, the full blown manufacturing side of the business. So when, as it relates to pumps, you know, some of the things that go in my mind are you, you definitely have residential systems where the city pressure up the street is not enough. Maybe there's 45, 50 PSI coming in. And of course, by the time you go through your water meter and your backflow, you've got your friction loss through your pipes and valves, 25 PSI is not going to cut it in a, in a residential system. And so on its most basic level, you have booster pumps. And then you can think all the way up through... HOA systems, commercial systems, pulling out of lakes, golf courses. And then I know you guys go all the way up to like the crazy large systems that run, I don't know, ski resorts and things. And so maybe we can start at that residential sort of booster pump level and talk about what someone would need if they don't have enough pressure. How do they decide what size pump, where to put it? Would, would they contact Monroe for that and that sort of thing? So yeah, Monroe is capable of, of supporting the uh, customer all the way through from you know the beginning to the end based on the pump selection itself. Typically, we would need to know some information up front, which is what size of sprinkler system we're working with. Have we got a system that's 20 gallons per minute? Have we got a system that's 100 gallons per minute? So from the flow there, rate is, the, is a key data point. Correct. Flow rate is a key data point. The next data point would be what type of pressure are we looking at? So we would gather information with what's available to us and what's the ultimate goal. And obviously figuring out uh, everything in between. So, you know, what are the head losses across the system? All that comes together to help us select the size of pump that's necessary for the project. Okay. So let's walk through fl flow rate uh, quickly. And this may seem, for those of you that are more advanced that are listening, this may seem rather basic. For those that are just getting into it, flow rate's a, a critical part in the system. So if you're at a residential house and you've determined that it's a, a one-inch service line coming either off the meter into the house or into the house and then through the meter, you might have maybe 15 gallons a minute. Is that about right? Yep. I would guess that. And then you can take a, a static pressure reading with a pressure gauge, right, at a hose bib or any point on the system to check the, the static pressure. And so is that the number that you're looking for, that static pressure reading? So typically we can work with the static pressure reading, but more so would like to have the dynamic reading itself, right? So as they open the valve up, uh, what does the pressure go to? You know, we might have a static reading of 30 PSI, but they open the valve up and the pressure might drop to 15 PSI. Right. Maybe that, uh, maybe that service line is um, galvanized and it's all corroded out and the dynamic pressure is crap compared to the static. Correct. Right? And that's the pressure that the pump works with. So based on the amount of flow that we've got going through the system, if the pressure does drop to the 15 PSI set point, 
that would be the number we're looking for. Okay, that's what we have available. Now we're going to take that pressure and we're going to boost it to the dynamic pressure necessary for the irrigation system. And how does somebody know what the ultimate pressure is that they're looking to get to, you know, in terms of do they want to have it operating at 50, 60, 70? And then do they want that pressure at the pump or do they want it at the last zone furthest away? How does somebody decide that? A lot of it has to do with the amount of sprinklers that are in the system. So say we've got a zone that's got seven sprinklers on it that are roughly three gallons per minute. So we would know that if we're going to run those seven sprinklers at three gallons a minute, we're going to need 21 gallons per minute. Mm -hmm. From there, then they would look at the overall amount of piping in the system and the size of piping to calculate the head loss through there. The friction loss through pipe. Correct. From okay. at that point, then that gives us an idea that 21 gallons per minute plus the friction loss in the system, we would need an ultimate pressure at the pump of maybe 50 PSI. So to size the pump, we would say, okay, we're going to take 15 PSI and we're going to boost it to the 50. The unique thing about a pump is that whatever pressure you put into that pump, you'll get out plus what the pump is capable of doing. Mm. So that allows us to make a decision on, on horsepower for the pump. In this type of system, we might have a pressure that, you know, we're boosting to 50 PSI for 15. So really the pump only needs to go 35 PSI to get the max pressure we're looking for. So we would select right. a pump that would give us 35 PSI at 21 gallons per minute. And then there's a couple different ways you can start this pump. So again, thinking on this residential system, someone's got to tell the pump to come on. And uh, from my experience, it's one of two things, right? A, a, a relay that's connected to the controller that turns the pump on or a drop in pressure that turns the pump on. Is there a preferred method for a pump? Does the pump care what turns it on? The, the pump really doesn't care. I think the ideal uh, situation for a small residential system would be the 24-volt uh, signal from an irrigation clock. And a lot of that has to do with the pump is actually working as part of the overall irrigation system, right? So we have a clock that's managing the water, managing the zones, and that clock is also managing the pump. So the brains of the whole irrigation system really comes from the clock. Mm -hmm. As the clock says, hey, start and turn, you know, run, then it would tell it start and turn on. There mm -hmm. are safety features that would be built into the pump that would protect itself would shut the pump down as necessary if something goes wrong. But in an overall view of an irrigation system, the pump is just part of the irrigation system. They all have to work together to work, you know, harmoniously and, you know, be able to create what's necessary for the irrigation system. Uh, and these pumps, are they, I, I don't know what is actually inside of a pump. I think of it as a motor, but what basically is the pump? So the pump is actually a pretty simple component itself. Um, you have the motor, of course, you have what's called a mount ring that mounts the pump to the motor. And inside the pump, there's typically what's called a mechanical seal that seals the water inside the pump. And you have an impeller and a diffuser in there. That's really everything that's in a pump. There's not a lot of components inside a pump. They're pretty simple components. You know, with the impeller and the diffuser, that's what's going to allow the pump to perform properly. So is the impeller like a fan that spins the water to give it that boost? What exactly is the impeller? So the impeller works just like a fan. You're correct. I mean, water enters the eye of the impeller. Um, from there, then it's, it goes through some veins that as it spins at specific speeds, then it can create enough pressure or enough flow for an application that is run. There, there's really not a lot to a pump. With all the components that are part of the pump, there's not much in it. 
Right. Is there a particular lifespan that a pump should have? How long should they last? Oh, I guess that really depends on its application, right? As long as somebody, nobody runs it dry okay. or you know things like that. That's correct. I, I mean, the, the, you know, obviously you're going to put protections on them. I, I've seen some pumps that'll last 24 hours. I've seen pumps that have lasted 20 years. It, it depends on the application of the pump. You really want to select the best pump for the job so that you're not putting it in a condition that it's not designed to operate at. And it, it depends on its frequency it's used. Right. I see. Running once a week or all day long. Correct. Right. So on these pumps, they're, I think this will help us sort of move from the small to the large. The installation contractor could have a choice whether it's just a straight up booster and it runs flat out, let's say, or whether it is a variable, uh, has a variable speed drive on it. Can you talk a little bit about what the heck a VFD is or variable frequency drive? So to me, the easiest way to understand what a VFD drive does is you can look at it like the speed control on your car, right? You have cruise control. You set a speed, and as you're cruising along, it's maintaining that speed. As you go up the hill, it speeds up, and as you go down the hill, it slows down. That's really how a variable frequency drive works with a pump. Uh, we program a given pressure that it needs to run at, and as you open zones, then it speeds up, and as you close zones, then it slows itself down. Now, what that equates to can be energy savings, right? Because it can reduce the amount of current that's necessary for a small zone mm -hmm. and then increase the current necessary for the motor on a larger zone. So mm -hmm. as you balance the system out, you have a, the ability to sometimes reduce cost, operating cost to the uh, system itself. You're keeping your pressure fixed. That becomes a fixed point on the system. If you want it to be pumping and measuring at the pump at 50 PSI, it's going to maintain 50 no matter what the demand is, or it's going to try to maintain 50 regardless of demand and move the motor up or down. That's correct. And that's done with a sensor in the system, a pressure sensor mm -hmm. that feeds a signal back to the VFD and the VFD then reacts to that signal. Mm -hmm. The opposite of that would be if there wasn't a VFD and it was designed, I think we used before this uh, value is 21 gallons a minute with a 35 PSI boost. If you were running, for instance, 40 gallons a minute, it may not be able to maintain that 35 PSI boost because it's a lot more water. And if you are running five PSI or five gallons per minute, maybe it would give you more PSI. That's right? correct. Because it's not maintaining PSI. It's just pumping. Correct. It's just maintaining out. a speed all the time and it either moves up or down on the pump curve. So that's one of the benefits of the VFD. It can be easier on an irrigation system because it has a soft start, soft shutdown. What does that mean? That's a good, that's a good uh, keyword. I like that. So the variable frequency drive has the ability to slowly ramp itself up to a given pressure and slowly ramp itself back down to a given pressure. So in certain cases, it has the ability to react to that pressure change fairly quickly, not, not extremely fast, but fast enough that it can react to lower the system pressure so that we don't overpressure the system. And, and is the, that something that's programmable, the, the time, the, the soft ramp time? That is correct, yes. The soft ramp time can be changed to allow a, a slower ramp up time to pressure as well as a longer ramp down time to pressure. So mm -hmm. in an application where maybe with a pump, we're pumping water a mile up the hill and it's going 300 PSI. As that water's traveling up the hill, there's a specific speed that it's moving at. As you shut that system down, the water continues to travel until it comes to a stop. Then it comes back at the pump station. With the ramp down, we can say, all right, 
slowly ramp everything down and bring the, the conveyance of water to a, a complete stop with very little movement in the system. Interesting. I want to be moving from this uh, residential example on up to the bigger system. So now we've got this variable frequency drive that we're talking about. What is the, so two questions, what percent of residential installs do you think have a variable or VFD? And then what is the typical added cost for something like that on these basic systems? So I would say most residential systems typically don't have a variable frequency drive on them. We're dealing with pretty small uh, flows, fairly small horsepowers. They can be added, but the additional cost to it is fairly significant. Okay. To to add a variable frequency drive to it in a, in a residential application. It's kind of what I assumed. And then, you know, if it's small and it's less than 12 zones or even less than 18 zones, the cost benefit may just not be there, right? That's correct. Yes. Is there a certain size you, you tend to see systems moving into the, the VFD area? So I like to start at about five horsepower and move up from there. You know, three quarter, one, one and a half, two, three, that's all pretty small and, and the VFD can be added to it, but there's really not a major benefit to it. Okay. It's when we get the five horsepower and larger that we start seeing some added benefits with adding a variable frequency drive to the, to the pump. And that five horsepower, is that a specking out that size pump? Is that a function of the flow rate? Again, is that, you know, because it's an 80 gallon a minute system or something like that? That's pretty much correct. Yes. Um, you know, you're looking at 80 to 120 gallons a minute, somewhere in there, uh, depending on whether it's boost or whether it's going to be a, a surface water application and lifting water from a pond or something. Mm -hmm. And then again, you and I work more closely on these bigger systems. So that's sort of the area that I'm more familiar with in this. I, I wanted to start with residential because I know a lot of people listening to the show may not get into the bigger stuff, but having a basic understanding of pumps can be helpful. Is there uh, anything particular from the Monroe line, you know, that you guys focus on, on these smaller pumps? Is this in your wheelhouse at all? It is. So we, we have a, a five horsepower pump station. We call our Simplicity 70 pump station that is five horsepower designed for surface water applications with a self-priming pump. And then we also have a boost application pump station that's capable of, of boosting from uh, up to about 50 to 60 PSI and roughly about 110 gallons per minute. And then from there, we go into the, the larger pump stations, the commercial style pump stations. So you, you said something else there that I want to uh, stop at real quick. You said surface water. What, is, what, are you, what are you referring to when you say a surface water system? In the West, in Colorado, local in our area, we have canal systems that deliver irrigation water to all the residents in Grand Junction. So everybody has a self-priming pump that's sitting on the ditch behind their house that they're lifting raw water or water from the Colorado River to irrigate their homes with. Mm -hmm. So that might be applications where we have a pond we're lifting water from, we have a creek we're pulling water from, uh, possibly a river we're pulling water from. So that would be a, a surface water application or a surface water situation. Again, there's just there's just so much we can talk about. So you keep <laughs> you keep mentioning these great words, and I dig in a little bit on these applications. I suppose you could have a submersible pump or a suction lift style, right? Correct. They can or would those both be surface water? applications can be used in surface water applications. Yes. Um, okay. We've done lots of submersible pumps where they're slipped, slipped out into a pond. And with that style of pump, you have the ability to make higher pressures than you might with a standard self priming single stage or single impeller pump. So yeah, let's hit that for a quick second. A submersible pump, you might have a better definition, but to me, that means a pump that's actually in the water, right? Correct. The actual pump and impeller itself is submerged, hence the word, Correct. versus the booster pump that's 
on the shore and it just has a pipe going out into the into the body of water. Are there pros and cons to that? Um, yes, there are pros and cons to it. We might have an application where we're trying to lift the water an extremely high elevation. So say we've got a pump that's 20 feet above the, the pond. A pump, they're designed to basically pump water. Uh, their ability to lift the water is somewhat diminished based on available atmospheric pressures in certain areas of the country. Hmm. So if we have an application where somebody comes and says, hey, I, I want to lift the water from my pond. It's 25 feet above the pond and I want to get 50 PSI out of the pump. We technically wouldn't be able to do it very easily with a self-priming pump or a horizontal centrifugal pump. We would want to move to a submersible pump where that pump is in the water so yeah. that we have the ability to move it properly. Okay. And I'm picturing in my mind, I live uh, here in Traverse City. We're right on Lake Michigan. There are so many people that pump either out of Lake Michigan or out of the local lake that they live on. And typically it's just a simple booster pump on the shore, the pipe running out into the lake. And the elevation is probably, you know, five feet difference between where the pump is sitting and where it's pulling the water from. And so I could, that makes sense in those applications, why you wouldn't submerge the pump in the water because you're not trying to lift it Correct. very far, just a couple feet uh, versus that example you just gave of, uh, of 25 feet of elevation and, or perhaps if there's a tank or something, you know, that's, that's buried underground or you're lifting it, you know, a, a great distance. Uh, cool. So on the residential side, um, I've seen before, I don't know if you still have it, but you used to have like a small little, uh, um, I don't even know what you called it. It was like a little box. It was like a pump in a box or something. Sure. Do you guys still make that? We do. So that's called our simplest simplicity, or I'm sorry, our complete pro package. Uh, the complete pro package is basically a three quarter through three horsepower. And then we also have a five horsepower and a little larger enclosure, but the, the complete package comes with a pump start relay. And one of our, our biggest products, which is called a smart box, the smart box. That's itself, what I'm thinking of the smart box. Sorry, the yeah. smart box. So the smart box itself is basically a pump start relay but it has a little bit of brains built into it where we can add a temperature switch and a pressure switch to it. So say we have a surface water application where we're trying to lift the water out of the lake. And for some reason, some leaves and things like that get plugged up on the suction side of the pump. The smart box has the ability to check this pressure on the discharge side. So if we run out of water, our discharge pressure drops to a given point. At that point, we can run a timer and we can retire the pump and protect the pump from running dry. With a temperature switch in the pump, we might have a irrigation zone that didn't open properly, right? So irrigation clock calls for the system to run and the zone valve doesn't open. So now we have a mm -hmm. pump that's in a deadheaded situation. It's just sitting there trying to make pressure, trying to move water. As that pump runs like that, it'll eventually get to a point where it'll start to cause the water to boil in the pump, which can cause the seal to fail on the pump. So with a temperature switch, we can reach a given temperature and say, hey, it's time to shut this pump off and it'll retire the pump. So the smart box is, is a really good thing to add to all residential pumps because it's a pump start relay, first of all, and it has that extra feature built into it that can protect the pump from running dry or deadheaded. Right. Yeah. And if you're a contractor and you're, tr you're trying to keep a customer for life, the last thing you want to do is put in a booster pump and at some point later, something happens accidentally, the valves don't open like you talked about and the pump sits there and it pumps, pumps, pumps and blows the PVC pipe up like a balloon. And the next thing you know, boom, it's burst. It's but burst. that seems like a small price to pay for that kind of uh, protection. Yep. 
And, you know, for all residential applications, that's really an ideal way to do it. Great. So let's move on. I think that kind of, uh, that may wrap up the residential questions. Is there anything that a residential contractor should keep in mind, like any big no-nos, like any things they should just never do, anything to watch out for? I can't think of, you know, anything major. The biggest thing is, is to make sure that when you're troubleshooting a pump or even installing a pump, to have the right size pump. If pumps are too small, then they tend to burn up quicker because they're drawing too many, too many amps at the motor. So, you know, the biggest thing is, is to, to properly select the correct size of pump for the application. That makes sense. Don't cut corners by downsizing the pump to save 300 bucks. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. And uh, we'll have to save this for another time. If you don't know how to size a pump, there are resources out there. Are there resources on your website for yes, to figure out how to size a pump? We do have resources on our website that will allow people to um, fill out a sheet of paper that, you know, they can kind of determine how much water, how much pressure do I need? What power do I have available, right? Do I have 110 or 220? Really kind of gives them an idea of how to work through the selection of the pump and at least selecting the correct information to contact us so we can help to size the pump too. Okay, great. So let's move on to the, uh, we'll call it a pump station. I don't know if there's a better word for that, but a pump station in these larger applications Let's just, uh, you know, what is a pump station? Why don't we just start there? Is there a description of what a pump station is? So a pump station, in my mind, is a pre-packaged, pre-assembled, pre-built, ready-to-go pump designed for a specific application. Typically would have all the major components that would be a pump, a check valve, some sort of controller in it, and maybe some sort of environmental enclosure to put on the pump station so that it can be located outside in an, in an environment that, you know, allows it to be protected, but still function properly. There's a lot that goes into a, a pump station. Obviously the, the basic stuff we talked about a residential thing, we need to know for this type of pump station, what pressure, what flow. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get into, you know, what's the power available and then what type of options do we want on the pump station? Do we want to add flow meters? Do we want to add hydrometers to it? Do we want to have some sort of communication to the pump station so that it can be remotely looked at, pull it up on your cell phone and look at, Hey, what's happening with the pump station? You know, what are the type of components that are necessary on the pump station? But as a whole, it's a pre-packaged, pre-assembled, ready to go pump station. So if it's pre-packaged, pre-assembled, ready to go pump station, and it's ordered and delivered, what is required of the installation contractor when they receive this station? A small, simple package like this, I would say, you know, requirement is really hook the power up, hook the suction, hook the discharge up. And at that point, you're ready to rock and roll. Um, hmm. You know, there's, we pre-test all the pump stations that we ship. So based on the design conditions that it's selected at, we'll hook it up to our test station. We'll run the flow, the pressure that's necessary for, for the application. And we'll try and get it as close as possible to real life conditions. Mm-hmm. Once it's installed, then there's some fine tuning that needs to be done to the pump station to tune it to the irrigation system itself. A lot of times it's pretty easy, pretty quick to get done. Yeah. What does that consist of? I'm not too familiar with that process. So as I mentioned, you know, we'll set it up on our test stand and we'll, we'll program a given pressure. But um, as we get it out in the field, we might notice that the pressure it was originally designed at might be a little too high and we're getting a little bit of misting out of the sprinklers. So we want to tune it, you know, reduce the pressure a little bit to tune to the specific point that's necessary in order to get the best spray and most efficient spray out of the uh, system. And is that something you're doing inside the, the logic of the uh, control panel inside the station? Correct. So essentially we would set our cruise control, right? 
we would go in and program okay. the given pressure we're looking for out of the VFD in order to make it work properly. Got it. Okay. And let's talk about these enclosures. You know, you said an environmental enclosure. What does that kind of consist of? Our enclosures are made from all aluminum. Uh, we powder coat them, but they basically are a complete house that sits on top of the pump station. Uh, it can be environmentally protected from weather if we wanted to. We could insulate it. We could put heaters in it uh, that would allow for cold weather applications. Uh, a lot of times in the, you know, I would say up in your area, I mean, it gets pretty cold. And in the spring, everybody's ready to turn their pumps on and make everything green, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times, you know, the, the weather is still getting cold in the spring. And some of the components are susceptible to freezing on the pump station. So in the spring and the fall, we see a lot of times where pressure transducers have failed because the weather got a little cold and, and caused it to freeze. So, you know, with this enclosure insulated and heated, early spring, late fall, we can run quite a bit and not have to worry about whether the thing's going to freeze. Yeah. Let me ask you real quick. You know, we're getting more and more in tune and practice with pressure transducers on the baseline side of my business. And, uh, you know, certainly no expert at this point, you guys have a lot of experience with pressure transducers because that's one of the data points. That is the data point that helps you run your system. Right. And so what exactly should be done to a pressure transducer for winterizing? I know you just said maybe yours don't need to if they're heated, but is there something that you would do to it uh, to close it off for the winter or protect so it? So my recommendation is to completely take the pressure transducer off, take it in the house, take it in the building, put it in a safe location that you know where it's going to be, and then reassemble it back in the spring. If you leave a gotcha. drop of water in that thing all winter long, and it takes just a drop of water, it could be enough to cause it to freeze and fail. Very good to know. Uh, don't tell anyone at baseline because ours are hardwired into our decoder, uh, potted. So you have to cut the wire, but you know, no big deal. You could put a splice on it, but then I'm thinking in my mind, <laughs> you wouldn't think to bring it in because it's wired to a decoder. Sure. And I guess you could just undo the splice to the decoder and take the whole kit in, indoors. And, and maybe that's the best approach that we should recommend is just take the kit, sure. bring it indoors. Just takes a drop. I did not know that. Very cool. Learning little new things all the time. So let's see, on these stations, it's prepackaged, preassembled, delivered to the site. Um, you optimize it for the system when it gets there. How about just the regular maintenance? Do these stations require any monthly, annual, biannual maintenance? They do. Some of the things, you know, obviously winterization is, is a big thing. You know, you want to get all the water out of the pump. You want to make sure it's nice and dry uh, for winter applications. But certain things like the wires connected to the components within there, uh, you've got line and load wires, which are large wires designed to handle a lot of current. Those wires themselves have the ability to heat and cool and heat and cool. And as they do that throughout the year, there tends to be conditions where wires can become loose at the terminals. And we all know if you get a loose terminal wire, then essentially it could cause something to, to fail and burn up. So we recommend that, you know, periodically the, the wire connections are tested to make sure that they're good and tight still. Okay. Uh, kind of like uh, checking the grounding on a two-wire system. Check those uh, those ground lugs that are on the rods. Make sure you got a solid um, connection. That's correct. Some other things might be, you know, cycling valves, open and closing valves that don't get used a lot. Uh, it's nothing worse than, uh-oh, I need to shut this off and the valve don't function properly, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, as far as... Greasing and things like that. A lot of the new pumps, the new motors in the pumps have sealed bearings, so you don't have to worry about greasing those very often. Okay. Um, maybe keeping it clean, right? We have one customer in, in the Nevada area that um, that we, we put GFCIs in the pump station so they can plug a vacuum cleaner in and clean the pump station, keep the dust out of it. 
So, you know, there, there's definitely maintenance requirements to a pump station. It's not a, just set it there and leave it. I mean, it's, it's similar to a, a vehicle, right? You have to maintain it right. or it doesn't, doesn't last. Right. In, in regards to winterizing, can you blow air through it? How do you, what, how do you get the water out of the pump station? Typically you would remove all the drain plugs at the bottom of the pumps and any location on the pump station for a drain pump or drain, drain area. And then, yeah, air is the biggest thing. So you'll connect air okay. to it. You'll blow air through it to get as much water out of it as possible. And then you'll leave the drain plugs okay. out of the pumps. Got it. So it's okay to run air through the, the motor, yes. through the pumps. Yes. Or not the motor, but through the impeller. Correct. Yep, not a problem. Okay. Awesome. So let's see. The next thing I wanted you to share is some of the, you'll have to describe it. I'm going to call it the prepackaged uh, stations because I've always worked with you on a kind of a custom build per project. You know, every, every new construction project that needs a pump, we'd contact you. You'd ask all these questions. You guys would design up an awesome system and it would be custom for that particular site. And then after talking with you these last couple of weeks, I understand you're working on some sort of prepackaged uh, systems that have consistency across the market. And so I wanted you to kind of share what you guys are working on and what's available now. So the, the, the station is what we call our standalone pump station. We've standardized this system to allow us to produce them much quicker. Everybody recognizes Monroe as a pump company, but there are other industrial things that we manufacture. So one of the things that we manufacture is what's called a groove fitting. A groove fitting is, is a way of putting piping together like an erector set. So on the new systems that we're using, we've basically built all these systems together with this erector set type pipe, piping, and it allows us to build it very quickly. We have a range of five horsepower through 25 horsepower in this pump station. It comes in a enclosure, as we talked earlier, uh, mm -hmm. with the variable frequency drive and a few controls. So one of the controls we add is the integration of the baseline ability to truly integrate to the baseline system. Mm -hmm. We can add the hydrometers to it. We can add flow decoders to it. We can add, add event by coders to it. And that kind of customizes the station a little bit. But for the most part, it's a five horsepower through 25 horsepower pump station that's designed for either a suction lift application or a boost application. And then um, I know you guys are doing an integration for Hunter as well. I know there's probably a lot of Hunter users listening in. Is there specific things on the Hunter system that you're integrating with? Or what, is, what does that mean so, to integrate? So the, the integration is really not a true integration as we have with Baseline. There's actually no communications between the pump station and Hunter. It's, it's more of an agreement where we've allowed our system to match the same warranty we provide through Baseline. So... Essentially, if a system is designed 100% hunter with all the sprinklers in the ground, all the components that are necessary to call it a 100% hunter system, then we mm -hmm. extend the warranty on the pump station to match the five-year warranty we have with the baseline system. I like what you said about communication because with, when you use the word integration, that could mean a lot of different things. And you could integrate by putting a pump start relay decoder, right, right. from maybe any manufacturer on a station. And then technically it's integrated because it's got someone else's components on it. Yeah, so I think there's different ways to, to integrate. For those of you that are might be new to the baseline system that are listening uh, with us today, uh, on a baseline 3200 controller, if Monroe has put in, you might have a better word for it, I call it the baseline drive on the VFD, you can read that information and, and alarms from the pump station right inside the baseline controller. That's correct. So we put a, a communications card on there that allows us to truly make the communications with the baseline controller. Cool. And I can totally see how having uh, standardized pump stations not only could save you guys manufacturing efficiency, but having some consistent 
products and a product line, as well as service and support. Because as soon as you have 2000 individual custom pump stations out there in the world, you have a lot, you got to go back to your design notes and, and wonder what is at this site. But if everybody had one of 10 different stations, now it's much easier to service and support a pump station. I think as well from a contractor's perspective and distributor's perspective, if they have less, uh, I shouldn't say less options to choose from because that's not true, but uh, less ordering options where it's easier to uh, specify size and order a pump station, you just streamlined the process. That's correct. And I think that helps out with, as you mentioned, you know, uh, distributors ordering it, but it also helps the architect group too, because we have available drawings, we have available specifications that can be delivered very quickly um, so that they have the ability to put them on the plans and get their project out the door very fast. Mm-hmm. And with a with a specifiable part number, this is what you, we need you to order, XYZ pump station. Yep. Cool. Well, that's great. Uh, great information. It sounds like Monroe is really moving along quite well. And last thing I wanted to talk about, because I always find it interesting, or maybe some of the crazy big systems that you work on that just blow people's minds. Because I know I, I can't think of specific examples, but I just remember you guys talking about some stations that just make you go, holy shit, that's big. There are many of them. You know, as I mentioned, we, we focus on irrigation, but there are times that we get into industrial applications. So, you know, I can remember projects we've done at mines where, you know, we're putting 200 horsepower pumps on these pump stations in order to move water from point A to point B. We get into large uh, municipal parks where, you know, we might have 360 horsepower pumps or even three 100 horsepower vertical turbine style pumps on this pump station capable of delivering four or 5,000 gallons per minute for an irrigation system in a park. Oh my goodness. Tremendous amount of water and, you know, it's... It's definitely a lot of equipment to put together and, and manufacture and, and deliver to a site. So for me, the service that you guys have always provided in terms of knowledge, expertise, in order to um, handle, you know, mid to large size pump stations, because that's the area that I've spent the most time in, knowing that you guys also work on these, call it these big ass systems means you got to have the knowledge, expertise, manufacturing, engineering on staff, on board, on your team in order to do that big stuff that qualifies you guys to be doing this stuff in our, in our market, because it's really not that complicated at the end of the day in the irrigation industry. And you guys have always, always been there for me, you personally, I kind of think of you as the pump guy. <laughs> I, I've got a little bit of experience with it. I've not seen it all. And I'm sure I'm not, I won't see it all, but um, I sure enjoy that. The, the business. Yeah. Brand. So, you know, Justin McDaniels of Monroe, he's uh, let's call him my pump guy. If there's someone listening, Justin, that wants to either reach out to you or learn more about Monroe, how can they do that? So we have a website, www.monroepump.com spelled M-U-N-R-O. From that website, then that will allow you to pretty much be directed anywhere within the company to speak to whomever you need to. I'm definitely available for conversation and you know help with any type of applications that you might need in a pumping application. But I would say that the website is probably the best way to get hold of somebody at Monroe to you know help with sizing applications or or you know any questions in general about pumps. And then final question, which we didn't cover. Where are your products available for purchase? So we sell through distribution and all the major distribution houses within the country are available for purchase. So there's, you know, distribution from Florida all the way to Washington state. Awesome. But uh, that's, you know, typically where you might find some of our products available. Yep. So hit up your local distributor, ask them about Monroe or contact um, Justin through the website, get a pump spec'd out, and then you can go to your distributor and uh, ask them to order it. Absolutely. 
Very cool, Justin. Well, I definitely learned some things today and uh, appreciate having you on the show and sharing with us uh, both your knowledge and what's going on with Monroe. So thank you. Thank you, Andy. All right, we'll catch up soon. Have a good day. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye. All right, that's a wrap, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Justin today. And we did our best to try to cover some of the basics on just booster pumps for any beginners that are listening in, as well as cover some ins and outs and tips for larger size projects for any advanced listeners and the booster stations. So if you're not familiar with Monroe Pumps and Monroe Systems, check them out at monroepump.com. And again, as always, I appreciate you listening to the Sprinkler Nerd Show, following me along in this journey. And if you have any ideas for future content, I would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email, andy at sprinklernerd.com, or hit me up on LinkedIn, and I would love to hear from you. So until the next episode, be curious, be smart, have fun out there, and we'll see you on the next episode.